0: Hawks Live every Thursday night at 7, live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distillings Batch Number 12 Vodka. Come on, guys. Let me take over. And Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle.
1: Welcome to Hawks Live. It's Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer, broadcasting live from Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we always have a player up here, and it's going to be Seahawks defensive end, Quentin Jefferson. He's going to join us, and uh, we'll also hear from the professor, John Clayton. We'll talk to Danny O'Neill. We'll get an opponent preview. Show starts at 7 o'clock. It's our last one. Last one, Paul. Lots of pressure for you and I tonight, performing in front of our families, especially my kids who give me a really hard time. If I screw up even once, I'm going to hear about it.
2: There's a lot more pressure on you, Dave, than me. Okay. I've done a wedding. I'm good. Yeah, that's right. You, you just a gave speech. a speech at a wedding. Yeah. We're, we're here uh,
1: courtesy of Heritage Distilling's batch number 12 vodka, our great sponsors, and also legendary donuts. And, Paul, we've got to do this before we move on. Uh, you remember this as a player. You come in on Wednesday. You look at uh, the new game plan for the next week, and you erase that last game out of your mind hopefully you're done with it like halfway through tuesday which is your day off but we got to talk a little bit about that 49er game lots of penalties in that game and that was that was probably the one that uh, that got me the most now some of those penalties and we can complain about them because we're not players they were ridiculous if the jr sweezy holds were holds then i was held on every play of my career officially And, you know, the the pass interference. But, you know, you you can't be sloppy and go on the road and win when you have 143 yards in penalties. Not only that, Paul, you and I both talked about this, the opportunity cost of about 70 yards that came back because of those penalties.
2: Yeah, and the the opportunity costs are you make a 32-yard play in overtime, you make a fantastic throw, and it it gets called back because of holding. So instead of it being a 10-yard penalty, it's actually 42 yards because that 32 yards of opportunity cost hurts. You know, some of the penalties – because, I, look, I, I don't have a conspiracy theory here that the NFL hates the Seahawks and, yeah. and all the penalties were the worst. What I would tell you is the timing of the penalties were horrible. Right. You know, we had two pass interference uh, calls. One of them was on a first and 20, and that was on Delano Hill. I thought it was a bogus call. And instead of it coming up second and 20, and you're going to get off the field – you, you, you extend that, that series for them. matter of fact, every, well, not everyone, San Francisco, of their drives, only one of their scoring drives did they do it without us helping them extend the play right. or the, or the, or the, um, the series. And, and some of them were, again, uh, third down and four. We get off the field, they, they call a penalty on us, all of a sudden they get a first down. I didn't think we played that bad, Dave. I really didn't. Yeah. I, I did predict that the Seahawks would lose 26-23. Yes, we need to talk about that. Well,
1: well, first of all, you jinxed them, I, I did.
2: I got, a, I got an offensive coordinator fired the week before <laughs> from Minnesota when I predicted the next day they would fire him, and they did. Yeah. And then I predicted San Francisco winning 26-23. Why did
1: you think that was going to be a tough game? You said the surface, right?
2: There, there's a bunch of reasons, but I'll give you a four or five. One is divisional game. Tough. We played them two weeks before. Yeah. If there was an eight- or nine-week time frame where we both of them had to redo their game plan, I'd be okay with that. But divisional game, we had a Monday night, so we got a short week. We're going to divisional game on grass. We had played them two weeks prior. Right. They're just tough games. And, and San Francisco has a lot of talent. Actually, Jay keeps. I'm going to give him some credit. I was listening to him today. And he made a really good comment. The margin for error for the Seahawks, the way we play, our philosophy is razor thin. And I thought we played well. But when you take all of those penalties and the opportunity cost, which was actually 223 yards of penalties and opportunity costs, man, that margin of error on the road, divisional, two weeks after we played somebody on a short week... I just thought it was going to be a tough game, and it obviously it turned out that way.
1: Well, and then I, I thought a couple of key players missing. Uh, you didn't have K.J. Wright or Michael Kendricks. And, and Austin Calitro, we'll talked to him today on the huddle, just a great player. But, you know, he's inexperienced. And there was a play where Garrett Selleck, the tight end, he was the second-string tight end for the 49ers. He scored a touchdown down the seam, and on the other side, uh, George Kittle, who's their number one target down there, he ran down the seam as well. Same same pattern, and Bobby Wagner was on that side. He took one step up, got underneath Kittle. Austin Calitro, a more inexperienced guy, stepped up. Delano Hill did too, and they got lost, and all of a sudden the guy's wide open downfield. So some of that was... A lack of experience and I'm worried about one thing in this game Paul coming up against the Kansas City Chiefs Bradley McDougald has been out of town getting some kind of a treatment for his knee he's got knee tendinitis patella tendinitis and I think he is key because Kelsey comes in here now Travis Kelsey the number one tight end in the league and He's really good in the middle of the field. I think Bradley McDougal brings a lot to this team, and if he's not going to be out there, then you're going to have to go with Delano Hill, who, again, good player like Austin Colitro, but just not experienced, and it's a group that hasn't really played together.
2: Yeah, I I look at Delano Hill and even Calitro, They are both good players. They're both physically gifted. It is experience, and I think the way the game has evolved – and we're starting to see the offenses come back. They're reversing to the mean. They're not scoring the points yeah. they used to. But with the whole fly sweep, the way the game is called, it's, there's more gaps to cover. I mean, the old days I'd say, Dave, you have one gap to cover. And yeah. then as it got maybe your eighth year in the league, I'd say, Dave, you actually have to have cover two gaps now. All right. Today I think it's three. Because you have the fly sweep, you got to take care of an initial gap if it's run up the middle, and then you also have the fold if it flows away. I think it's tougher, but the keys never change. And that is if I'm on a tight end, and I'm looking at the tight end through the offensive lineman, to the guard, to the center. But I've got to see that tight end first. If he releases downfield, it doesn't matter. I am now playing pass coverage. Because he's not blocking anybody. The the force drops down to the next guy. We've got some inexperienced guys who are not reading their keys, and they're getting killed on play action.
1: Yeah, we talked about that during the game. That drives me nuts, too. The other thing is I don't care if the quarterback fakes to the – Running back, if the, if the linemen are standing up, it's a pass. You gotta bust your butt to get back there. They kinda got lost in no man's land a little bit. But again, sloppy. I thought the week before against Minnesota, and, and really against Green Bay as well, I saw Austin Khalitra make a lot of really good plays in that game. And so, just late in the season, you gotta clean some of those things up. Here's what I said about, and we'll talk about the Kansas City Chiefs coming up here later. But Patrick Mahomes has been so good, and I guess is a simple way to put it, Paul. But like nobody's
0: that good,
1: okay? You're right, and you haven't seen him have a clunker. I think we thought that about Jared Goff before he went into that Chicago Bears game. He's the last couple weeks he's looked ordinary, so. In other words, defenses catch up with offenses as the season goes on. There's nothing revolutionary that's happening. You know, three weeks before the Seahawks beat the Minnesota Vikings 21-7, and it was 6 nothing with like three or four minutes to go, three weeks before that there was a 54-51 game yeah. between Kansas City and, and the Los Angeles Rams, and I feel like everybody thinks that, okay, this is the wave of the future, but defenses eventually – Catch up, and I think that's something. Hopefully, we will see out of the Seahawks against this Kansas City offense.
2: Well, fifty-four to fifty-one game means two things. One is there are two really good offenses and two really bad defenses, and and I believe that. I think the Rams defense is they're a train wreck. They cannot stop the run. It, it's an actually embarrassing at times to watch Sue and Donald play the run. Now, he, Donald's going to win MVP. Incredible pass rusher can be gifted against the run. Sue is—you you can't have a guy like that playing run defense. He's—he's he's atrocious. Kansas City's the same way. They are not built to stop the run. They—they are built to stop the pass. And if you look at what they have from a, um, sacks per play, I think they're tenth in the league. They're, yeah, they're
1: second with number sheer number
2: forty-six. 46 yeah, I've, forty-six sacks. So they—they they, and. This plays out pretty pretty easily. Yeah. You get an offense that goes and scores 40 points for you for Kansas City, and a team's down 40 to 10, what are they going to do? Yeah, they're going to pass And They're rush. throwing it. Yeah. And, and so your defense is you're going to get some sacks because right. of that. But they're 32nd and rush yards per attempt on, on rush. They're just not built to stop the run, and we're, yeah. they're about to come against a team that that's what we do. I think it's a really intriguing game from an X and O philosophy standpoint. On the road, Kansas City. You've got um, Mahomes, who I think is God. He's going to be amazing, but he still throws interceptions. Right. This is going to be a, I think it's going to be one of the great games of this year because they're t- completely different teams. Not a hundred percent sure how it's going to play out because I need to wait till Sunday when we finally get the actives. I need McDougal to yep. be there. I need. Uh, I need uh, Tedrick Thompson to be there. I need both our corners. I need our line. I need everyone Fluker. to be healthy. Fluker. Yeah. And then I'll give you my score. But right now, I think it's going to be a really cool game to watch. Two completely different philosophies.
1: Well, coming up next, we're going to get an opponent preview from Soren Petro from 810 WHB in Kansas City and find out a little bit more about this Kansas City Chiefs team. That's next, right here on Hawks Live.
0: At Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distillings Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer. I want to thank Pearl for the delicious dinner before the show tonight. We had clams and mussels. You got to check out Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. All the food here, so ridiculously good. Really good food here. Right now, uh, on the line, we've got Soren Petro from 810 WHB in Kansas City. Soren, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: All right. So tell us about, well, we all want to know about Patrick Mahomes. Uh, just taken the NFL by storm. Just done a really good job. Hasn't really had a bad game. I've seen him throw... You know, I, I guess in the uh, in the Rams game, he threw three interceptions, but he threw six touchdowns. It, w- is there any vulnerabilities that this kid has?
3: You know, not not really. And and that Rams game, I mean, if you if you you know dig down in even deeper on those interceptions. Uh, One of them, he was hit from behind while he was throwing, and the ball went straight up in the air. And and the last one, they they had about 15 seconds left to go in the game, and he had no choice. Either throw it down the field and try to make a play or just take the loss, and the kid put it up there, which I think that game kind of speaks to what he is. I mean, the stats are amazing, over 4,500 yards, 45 touchdowns right now already. But he's not really about the stats. I mean, if he were about the stats, there's a couple of times he wouldn't have put the ball out there. One of his 11 interceptions also was one he threw with like three seconds seconds left at the end of a half where he just you know chucked it down there and took a shot and getting a play so he, he's not just stat hunting he's going out and, and really has the respect of his teammates that's what's amazing is he's barely 23 years old there's a lot of 30 year old guys on this team that are looking at him and and he's the guy that addresses the team after games so he's really been uh, amazingly in his second year the total package for this franchise
2: You know, watching their defense, and they've taken some heat because they're, at least statistically, you look at them, they're 31st defensively, they're 36 rushing yards per average play. Uh, But, man, you watch them on film, man, this team gets after it. They've got 46 sacks. So what are they? I mean, one, can they stop the run? And two, they seem like they're a better defense than they are statistically.
3: Uh, one. The answer to number one? No. Uh, they, they, they're they're not good. They're they're terrible uh, at stopping the run. And you know the Denver Broncos almost beat them twice uh, doing that. If the Broncos didn't have some penalties, they probably would have beaten them in Arrowhead. They had three different penalties that called back over twenty yard runs. Uh, one that called back a fifteen yard screen pass and. Another one that called back a 14-yard run, and that was really the difference in the game. Otherwise, the Chiefs had shown no ability to stop the run, so that's why with the Seahawks. And really against the Ravens, they went up and down the field. They had one drive, eight plays, all rushes, right down the field for a touchdown. The Chiefs really struggled to stop the run, and the numbers that you see there against the rush are, are, are not actually indicative of how bad they are. They've, they've had so many big leads where teams get to a point and they have to chase them, or even like the Broncos, where they get penalties and they have to go to the air or they get down and they have to start trying to chase and, and throw the football so they get away from the run game. I mean, if, if you could play old-school Big 8 football, Nebraska-Oklahoma option football against this team, it would be a great game plan. And I think that's why Seattle's a really scary matchup for the Chiefs. Baltimore gave them fits. Seattle will give them fits on the ground. Uh, I, I mean, I just think the question is, can the Seattle offense actually – Just not put the football in Russell Wilson's hands and run it every down. It seems like offensive coordinators just aren't willing to do that. They can't help themselves but to call a passing play. Then you go up against three pretty good pass rushers. I mean, two really good ones, Chris Jones and D. Ford uh, are outstanding. Everybody in Kansas City very upset that Chris Jones isn't going to the Pro Bowl. He tied an NFL record. He's got 10 consecutive games with a sack, 12 overall in those 10 games, and and that streak's still going. He could break the record against the uh, Seahawks. And then Justin Houston finally came back from injury, and he's starting to look like the Justin Houston of old. So if you drop back to pass, they can get after you, but I I don't know why any team would drop back to pass based on how bad they are stopping the run we're getting
1: an opponent preview from Soren Petro 810 WHB in Kansas city and, and Soren uh, let me ask you about the Kareem Hunt deal when he was suspended, did everybody in Kansas City pretty much universally agree with with that decision, or was there a little bit of blowback there in Kansas City?
3: Oh no! There was there was blowback. Uh, you know, sadly, uh, I think nobody really expected the Chiefs to do what they did because it's the right thing. I mean, uh, you have the situation where a guy not only had the, the violence against uh, a woman, but but also lied to his team, and and the lies go beyond that. I mean, it, it wasn't just that he lied to the coach and he lied to the organization. Andy Reid and and, and uh, Clark Hunt, the owner of the franchise we're making statements at training camp about him being a young man and in the wrong place at the wrong time and learning from his mistakes and, and really kind of trivialized what it ended up being. At the time, nobody really knew how serious it was. And, and I think when you make your owner look like a fool, uh, which is frankly what he did with the way Clark Hunt, uh, kind of defended him at training camp, you have no choice but to let him go. So I think for the organization, th- there was no decision. It only took him a handful of hours to come to the conclusion that he had to go. One, to set the precedent in the locker room that you're not going to lie to the organization and this won't be tolerated. So that was easy. The fans, I think a lot of them understood it, but listen, fan is short for fanatic. And I think what a lot of times people want to do is, is make excuses, find a reason to not do the right thing. Doing the right thing isn't always easy. It certainly wasn't easy for the Chiefs. They lost maybe the best running back in football because of it. Uh, but it was the right thing to do uh, for that situation and for the big picture. Unfortunately, too many fans uh, don't see it that way. So there, there are still some fans that think there's a, a reason why he should have been kept on the team or just suspended and brought back later. I think after another incident came to light, another video came out of him being, you know, pride away from an altercation at a bar the night after they lost to the titans in the playoffs last year made it a little bit easier for most but there's still a few knuckleheads that don't don't seem to understand what uh you know what the right thing to do is all about
2: what was he like and just a little bit more on him take away those those incidents what what was he like to deal with i mean was he liked in the locker room and, and dealing with him from a media you know, I,
3: it's really interesting because everybody on the team still, you know, talks about supporting him and wanting him to, to get help. And, and, you know, the report came out a week or so ago that he was going to get some counseling. And, and I think he's got anger management issues. And frankly, I think a lot of people within the organization feel he's got an alcohol problem. Uh, you never really saw that. I, I think his teammates really liked him. They all talked about him being their brother and, and somebody they would support. But, but he's also in all these situations, there are never any teammates around. Uh, and you wonder, I, it, you, you know, it, it almost appears that the teammates knew, listen, you go out with Kareem Hunt, there, there's liable to be trouble because the guy just ha- has a, has a triggered temper and, and maybe drinks too much. You know, I interviewed him twice, one-on-one, once at training camp going into his rookie year, uh, was as nice and affable a kid as, as you could possibly uh, want to talk to, and then I interviewed him immediately following the season at the Super Bowl, uh, when he was getting all kinds of accolades and won a rushing title, and he was really kind of, uh, you know, rude and, and bitter and, and, and even I think Terse was some of the people that were there with him. He was being paid. You know how those Super Bowl Radio Row interviews are. Where you're, you're, you're promoting a product and, and the folks from Pepsi had, were taking him around and, and he was really even kind of, uh, just, you know, curt with them. And as I noticed that was a really different guy that the success I think had gone to his head. I think he was, you know, like a lot of guys who come into the league on their best behavior. Uh, and then as they start to realize, okay, I'm pretty good, they kind of let their guard down and, and, uh, maybe some of their natural tendencies come out and some of the, some of the warts come out. And I think we were seeing that and it was just a few days later that the uh, incident in cleveland uh, happened only a few days after the uh, super bowl so you know looking back on it now you know it, it, it seemed like it was kind of building this this, this kind of combustible behavior that uh, that we saw we've seen in a couple of videos
1: hey soren just really quick we got to go to break give us you know we know patrick mahomes travis kelsey kareem hunt all the players give us a name of of a player in kansas city that uh, everybody doesn't know about and and should
3: you know Mitchell Schwartz, uh, the right tackle. You know I would I would probably put him right there with Kelsey and Tyree Kill. After you know Patrick Mahomes number one. Kelsey probably number two for this team when Kelsey doesn't go well they have problems uh, and then Tyree Kill, but Mitchell Schwartz the right tackle uh, has never missed a snap in his career and actually he's missing practice time this week so that's one to really watch he's the best right tackle in football it's it's the one as much as I mentioned Chris Jones not making a Pro Bowl frustrating fans Mitchell Schwartz absolutely should be in the Pro Bowl he neutralizes uh, Vaughn Miller every time that she's played the Denver Broncos he goes up against Bosa Ingram and, and just does a phenomenal job he's the best right tackle in football and, and I think that will show up uh, very quickly on film against the Seahawks.
1: Hey, Soren, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks
3: a lot, Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. There he goes, Soren
1: Petro from 810 AM WHB, little opponent preview there. Coming up next, we're going to go inside the film room. We're going to take a look at three of the biggest, most important plays from the game last week. That's next right here on Hawks Live.
0: Hawks live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distillings batch number 12 vodka and legendary donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Hey, you're listening to Hawks live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we're going to have Seahawks defensive lineman Quentin Jefferson. He'll join us up here live on stage. He's a fantastic interview. Great kid. He's got, he's got four kids. Four little kids. It's two more than you, Dave. Yeah, and, and also they're young, and so that, that makes it difficult for him, but uh, I'm sure he's enjoying the heck out of that. Well, right now we're going to take a look at three plays from from the game last week, Paul. And uh, the first one, I was just so happy to see Doug Baldwin back. I feel like he's in a groove health-wise, uh, doing a really good job, and uh, didn't get the ball thrown to him a lot, as is the case with a lot of Seahawk receivers because they don't throw the ball a lot. Seahawks, by the way, dead last in pass attempts. So you know, go ahead and take what you will with that. With Russell Wilson, third most touchdowns, third least interceptions. Running
2: the football, Dave. Yeah, I love that they run the ball.
1: I love that part, but I just I'm just saying Russell Wilson has still thrown a lot of touchdowns and not very many interceptions, and he doesn't throw the ball a lot. But on this one, he definitely found a connection with Doug Baldwin.
3: Tight slot right for Russell out of the shotgun. Niners look like they want a blitz, but they
1: rush four. Russell has time. Now steps up in the pocket. Avoids one man.
3: Now he throws downfield. Baldwin reaches up, makes the catch. Tim five. Reaches across. Touchdown. Seahawks. Welcome back, Doug Baldwin. His second touchdown reception of the day from 35 yards out. A leaping catch and a dive for the goal line. And number 89. Does it again for his
1: quarterback. Doug Baldwin, you are amazing. I'll tell you what, he, we talk about Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball on the run, but Russell doing a really good job of stepping up in the pocket, and offensive line gave him a lot of protection, but that throw on the run by Russell was great, but really beautiful catch by Doug Baldwin and a leap for the end zone.
2: Yeah, Doug had two touchdowns, and they were both great throws by uh, Russell Wilson. This was a third-and-five play They had a stack position where uh, David Moore and and, uh, Doug Baldwin were right next to each other, stacked right behind each other. And Doug ran like a 10-yard turn or a curl route. And uh, you had David Moore ran a five-yard to the sticks for the first down. And there was a little pressure uh, to, to Russell's right. So he had to step up, and then he slid out to the right in the pocket. He had three guys open. He could have hit the running back in the flat. He could have hit David Moore at the sticks. But he saw Doug. Doug was open between the safety and the corner. Dave, five years ago, three years ago, were were putting smelling salt on Doug Baldwin there because the safety would have laid him out. But with today's rules, the safety actually was afraid to get a penalty. And threw a shoulder at, at Doug instead of taking him out head high. And because of that, Doug made a fantastic catch and run. Um, I'm excited for Doug this week. That was, again, two touchdowns. He's feeling healthy again. Doug's going to have a big week.
1: Before we go on to the next play, I want to thank our sponsors. Heritage Distillings, batch number 12, vodka and legendary donuts. Always go home with the most delicious donuts. They're the best. Makes my wife happy. Yes. Yeah, and I I rarely get one because everybody raids the donut box. But that would be me, Dave. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> you get all of them in your house. Yeah,
2: I leave you one. Yeah,
1: well, coming up next, uh, uh, the next play, Chris Carson, just an awesome job here. Of what he does is he puts his hand down, and and that's something that uh, running backs are taught that you know when you're going to the ground if you put your hand down that's okay not your elbow you know if your elbow goes down you're down but chris carson and i was in the booth with uh, with steve rabel calling this play and actually i heard pete the other day go yeah rabel had him down rabel thought the play was over because he did and i did too we kind of turned away because chris carson his momentum looked like it was stopped and it looked like there's no way that chris carson was going to be able to get into the end zone
3: Russell from the shotgun, Carson the single setback on fourth and one, bit of a high snap, Carson takes the handoff, is he going to make it? No, he's not. No, he keeps driving, I think he might have got there again, holy catfish, Chris Carson kept driving his legs and he fights his way in, touchdown Seahawks!
1: You know i don't blame rabel there because i was on the sa- in the same boat as him i'm like oh man that, that was it was so depressing to see them get down there and have uh, three shots at the end zone and not be able to get in but chris carson man you know i was i, I got a chance to see loaf uh last week and he was like man chris carson and then chris spielman old linebacker was saying that on the broadcast like this guy is amazing chris carson you know he's 84 yards away from being a thousand yard rusher which the seahawks have not had since 2014 it was marshawn lynch but um just an amazing player in every way he can jump over you he'll run through you he's got great speed he's a big strong guy and uh he's just a very impressive running back everybody around the nfl he's one of those guys that people are like oh man that guy watch out for him
2: you know, we played New Orleans way back when in what 2010, and we had Quake. I think it goes back yep. to 2010. Go crazy! Um, if this was at home in the playoffs, this this play right here would have set off earthquake, you know, uh, seismic, you know, readings. It, it was it really was incredible. And what was funny to watch about this play because you described it well. One, there's no quitting him. He was stopped three yards back. I, I thought they were going to actually call the play dead because his forward progress had stopped. Um, but he kept going, and then you had you know, some of the other guys like Sweezy and Brown push him, which is now legal from behind. The, the, the most fun part of this is to watch two 49er players run off. They're now in the 13 and 16 yard line and they're skipping, Dave. They got a little <laughs> hop skip because they thought they stopped and they raised their hands and they were celebrating. In the meantime, I'm looking over here and I've got one of our wide receivers with his hands in the air going touchdown. There was no quit. You had, um, uh, Justin Britt who was on the ground to the, to the actual other side of where the play went to our left. He gets up Gets in on the pile to push at the last second him into the end zone. 4,900 people are running off the field thinking they stopped him. It's just there's no quitting the Seahawks. I think this is a perfect play for what or for what Carson is all about.
1: Well, I think the lesson is there that you should never skip on the football no, no, field. No ball. skippies. No, no skippies. That's ridiculous. We
2: never skipped.
1: Next play, Frank Clark. And this was amidst a, a, a period where there was at the end of the, the fourth quarter, there was a um, – Two three play drives where well they weren't really drives, they were three and outs, but the Seahawk defensive line was just tattooing Nick Mullins and, and Frank Clark got after the quarterback on a beautiful stunt that he ran and got a sack of Nick Mullins. Here we go, first and ten for the Niners
3: at their own 25. I backs behind Mullins with Breed of the tailback. Mullins gonna throw on first down hit as he lets it go. Frank Clark just drills Mullins.
1: And here's the thing I'm worried about because <laughs> our, our producer, chobe, Paul. You know I like to say it's not the Matrix. You can't freeze in midair. Okay, yes, you can. Because they're calling these ridiculous penalties of when you sack the quarterback and you land on top of him, that's a penalty, and you can't defy gravity and momentum. And they don't understand this. But Frank somehow did it, and I hope every the NFL doesn't put this out there as a oh, training no. film. It's a training film. Only yeah, only Frank can do this. But he hits. Nick Mullins, the quarterback, and hits him really good, but then uh, uh, somehow allows himself, and I'm sorry, it wasn't a sack. It was just a, a quarterback hit, but he, uh, he somehow put his, his hands up and was able to not land with his full weight on Dave, Nick Dave, this,
2: this will be a training film. And by the way, it was the Matrix. Frank Clark took the blue pill, okay? So in this particular case, he was the Matrix. And they run what we call a tech stunt. So here's what a tech stunt means tackle goes between the guard and the uh, not i can't rush this one between the guard and the tackle offensively and he takes both of them and then you have frank clark who steps up like he's going to rush outside but then he dips underneath and he 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 runs a stunt underneath all the guards the tackle and our defensive tackle he i showed my son this and i go what did you see and it was just ouch it was an ouch play He ended up grabbing the quarterback, lifting him up, and in midair, here's your matrix, he lifted his arms away, and this is what the NFL wants you to do, is not fall on the quarterback anymore. He lifted his arms away and never fell on the quarterback. There is maybe one, maybe two guys in the NFL who could do that. One of them's Frank Clark. They're going to use this as a training reel. No one else can do it. So it'll look good in theory. It's never going to happen. Great play.
1: Boy, when you said take a little blue pill, I was like, "That's different."
2: Dave, your blue pill is different than my blue pill. But anyway, some of us don't need a blue pill, Dave. Yeah,
1: well, maybe some people do. Maybe some people don't. We we don't know. But (laughs) coming up next, we're going to talk to John Clayton, and we'll talk about all things—not only Seahawks, but NFL. That's next on Hawks Live.
0: Hawks Hawks Live Live. at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distillings Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer coming up at 8 o'clock, top of the hour. We're going to talk to Quentin Jefferson, but right now we have the Professor John Clayton on the line. John. Uh, First thing on my mind, let's talk about Pro Bowl snubs. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby Wagner making it. Michael Dixon, who uh, we talked to today, and he said it still hasn't really sunk in for him. But, um, I mean, this guy started considering playing American football in, like, 2015. So, you know, he probably doesn't really understand exactly what that means. But how about Dwayne Brown wasn't even an alternate how do you think that happens?
4: Well, because of the recognition, I guess the 0-2 start, the the fact that this team didn't really establish itself league-wide into a playoff team until later in the season, that that's where it, where it went. But, again, some of the snubs have to be, you know, here's Dwayne Brown. He went to the Pro Bowl last year, didn't get enough votes to even be an alternate this year. The only one that was able to get an alternate, and my guess is probably a fourth or fifth alternate, is J.R. Sweezy. It didn't give enough recognition to an offensive line that's made one of the most dramatic changes I think we've seen in the last several years to go from one of the worst run-blocking lines to the best run-blocking line, over 2,200 yards. You would think that more than like a fourth uh, alternate uh, for J.R. Sweezy, there's got to be a little bit more than that. So there was definitely a snub there.
1: How about this? And this is probably the third time I've said this today, John, but Russell Wilson, he has, he's dead last in pass attempts, 27, yeah. yet he's number three in touchdowns. And he's the third, he has the third least interceptions. And, you know, somehow I knew he wasn't going to get in there, but it kind of bothers me a couple of days after.
4: It does, but I think there's a reality. I mean, this is, I mean, this is where fantasy football probably comes in, not as far as the voting, but, you know, if you're sitting there and you're going to be, you know, between, 33 to 3,500 yards passing, and you've got all these guys out there with 4,000, 4,500 yards, he's not going to w- be able to win. Okay, I think the argument comes down to, and of course, it's a very valid argument, you know, Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so Aaron Rodgers has been arguably one of the best top two quarterbacks in the league for the last five, six, seven, eight years, and you got Tom Brady up there, number one or number two. Alright, so now, uh, can you top Aaron Rodgers with only 33 to 3500 yards for what will be the season. You know, when you know you have Aaron Rodgers, even though he's not going to have a winning team, that he's only thrown one interception pretty much the entire season, and you're probably not going to be able to beat him out. It's a reputation type of league, and that's one of the unfortunate parts about it. And uh, you know, where Russell probably deserves more, unfortunately, he gets less.
2: Yeah, it really is a shame because Aaron Rodgers, other than the amount of attempts he's had and not throwing interceptions. There's nothing else impressive about it. His yards per attempt is is uh, TD ratio per attempt. It's not. I mean, it, there's you know they're losing record. It, it's it's a popularity contest. Yeah. So let me ask you this because I think times have changed. What is more important to the players? Is it making the Pro Bowl or is it making All Pro?
4: Well, I mean, the thing is, it's going to be the same thing because you know. Russell's not going to make all pro, I think making the Pro Bowl, because I think it's the recognition, you, the votes, I mean, for example Yeah, and you're on, on
1: TV, and you yeah. get to play and everything, everybody sees you, right?
4: Well, and then, Paul you you'll identify with this, if you're making all pro, you're depending on me you're depending right. on writers. We're the ones who vote for all pro, and so there's going yeah. to be more respect when there's going to be, you know, the the players, the general managers, the coaches, and the and the fans, than it is just a bunch of you know 50 uh, writers voting for things. And so, uh, as much as, as you'd like to be able to say, yeah, it'd be nice to be all pro, but again, you'd rather have the vote of the players, the the uh, coaches, the general managers, and the fans more so than just the players and yeah, just the writers.
1: Well, what do you think about the Pro Bowl? It it means a lot. Like if I, you know, should I make my Pro Bowl joke for the fourth time in a row? Sure. Yeah, I went to the Pro Bowl one year. Paul, did you know that?
2: Who paid for it?
1: No, I had great seats. Yes. Yeah, so you killed it. You you Uh, you bought tickets to go there. Dave Craig was there, and Mm -hmm. uh, I was in Hawaii, and he got me seats. He got me tickets, but it's a big deal, man. I if I that was on my resume, I, I would love. To, to be able to, to say that. And I think that it's not an exact science enough of, you know, that the kid from uh, from San Francisco, Nizacha, he got yeah. like 183,000 votes from Germany because they like him. Apparently, he's German. And so.
4: But, but uh, you know, it didn't get him any more than just an honorable. I mean, he was just an alternate. He never got any better than that. Right,
2: but he wouldn't have had
1: anything if he hadn't gotten those votes from Germany. Yeah,
2: but look, I think this is the hardest one. Baseball's easy. It's a one-on-one situation. You've got a a batter and a pitcher. Statistics matter there. And football, how how are you going... Do you think the average fan knows who the best offensive linemen are yeah, without no. reading anything? I mean, really, no? Do they watch film and, or tape? Well, that's why Answers? I'm saying. No. That's why I'm
1: saying that they should put it in the hands of, like, John. You know this. I mean, yeah. well, you're part of it. You're the Hall of Fame vetting, right? I mean, you guys go back and forth, and I'm not saying have some big symposium or something like mm-hmm. that, but uh, I feel like you could do a, a better job with. But
4: see, here's a, here's where the difference is that the players don't necessarily want to go to the Pro Bowl. And so because of that, and again, you know, what happens is, you know, you have more people not wanting to go to the Pro Bowl. So you know where the votes are going to go. That's why I call around. I, I did for the last three days trying to find out, okay, who's first, second, third, fourth, fifth alternate. And so we know where the voting can go. And I think I've only got like five teams that haven't contributed to what it's going to be. So ultimately, you know where the votes are going to go, because, again, 40 or 45 players are not going to go to the Pro Bowl because they just don't want to go to Orlando. And so that's just the reality of things. And that's where I mean, it's a great thing to be able to get the honor. But, of course, uh, I mean, if you're going to the Super Bowl, you're not going to go to the Pro Bowl. And it's like, for example, you look at the New Orleans Saints. They had uh, five players voted to the Pro Bowl and nine who are alternates. You know, if they go to the Super Bowl, which is a good chance they can go because if they get home field advantage, there's 14 players are going to be out of the mix and others can go in. But, you know, the key is making sure that uh, you kind of know where the order is and how the voting goes.
1: How about Jaron Reed, John? The, the the year that he's having, yeah. and those two sacks and, and three plays last week, and you know, it, and I, it's tough to get recognition, especially as a defensive tackle. It's also really tough to get sacks, and he's getting them on the inside. Pretty impressive what Jaron Reed has put together this
4: year. It really is, because I think what he's doing is what Michael uh, Bennett did. When he would be on the uh, pass rush, you know, because when he would go nickel, then Bennett would move inside as opposed to defensive end. And you know, Bennett's going to get more tackles and sacks as a defensive tackle than he is at defensive end. And I think what you see with Darren, because particularly now that he's at that 83 to 87 uh, percent play mark as far as what he does in games, I mean, he is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, he is now a Pro Bowl caliber defensive tackle because you know how good he is stopping the run. Then you add the pass rush and all that different stuff and it's a matter of now it's like where do they vote him in as far as in the pro bowl in future years and i think that you can see that both you know frank clark i don't i don't know if he's a first second or third uh pro bowl alternate or whatever i think he's going to probably be end up being first but i think you know jaron reeds right now on the list as far as being you know second third fourth as far as alternate for pro bowl
2: you know last week was disappointing but doesn't affect our playoff hunts because we we still control our destiny injuries are important we got KJ right you got Fluker you got uh, McDougal you got Penny Who, any of those, do we have a shot at getting back and and the most impactful one?
4: Yeah, I I think uh, that uh, DJ Fluker has a chance to be back, and that's going to be so important because they've got to run the football to keep the Chiefs off the field. The second most important is going to be McDougal. I just don't know about him because he had to go out of town to get the treatment on his knee, and so that's going to take it all the way up to game time. But they need him because Travis Kelsey is one of the best Tight ends in the league, but Paul, when we sit down, uh, you know, two hours and well, an hour fifty before kickoff, or an hour, two, a little over two hours before the game on Sunday night. I mean, a lot of things that we don't know, we may know. For example, I mean, if the Redskins lose to Tennessee, if the Eagles end up losing, I mean, this game may not necessarily mean as much because the advantage of playing on this Sunday night is that the uh, you know the Seahawks will know more whether how much they have to do to win to get into the playoffs I mean it's not out of the question they could all but wrap up the playoffs without even playing that's going to be one of the things that we'll have to figure out before we sit down a couple hours before the uh, game and figure out
1: yeah I really hope we see uh, Bradley McDougal that's for sure
4: but McDougal he's a key yeah I, I agree You you saw what happened. I mean, you know, George Kittle ended up getting three catches for 51 yards, but also Garrett uh, Sherrill, I mean, you know, he ended up getting, you know, like a bunch of catches. I mean, they need McDougal, who, again, Pro Bowl caliber type of uh, safety, who is a Pro Bowl alternate. I mean, they need him.
1: Yeah, and great hitter, too. He caused that fumble. So, all right, John, well, I will talk to you tomorrow, and I'll see you on Sunday. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. All right, thanks, John. There goes John Clayton. Coming up next, live on stage, we'll have Quentin Jefferson. That's next on Hawks Live.